This show is brought to you in association with football charity, Football Aid. It's a charity very close to my heart and raises monies for diabetes charities. I'm on the board and at the moment we are running um, a special donation campaign. The campaign basically is to raise extra monies for Football Aid and obviously what's a very difficult time for a variety of charities in the UK and around the world. And the idea is to donate £10 by texting FOOTY, that's F-O-O-T-Y, to the text number 70085. That's texting FOOTY to 70085 to support a fantastic charity. I hope you will do. And this is only obviously for UK um, listeners. Thanks in advance. Thanks everyone as always for for joining. I think, um, yeah, we're really, yeah, really looking forward to getting Jake's views on um, a variety of different areas of um, sports, media, entertainment sphere, full stop. Um, both Essen and myself have sort of followed Jake's career over a number of years now, obviously culminating in the, the great work he does for BT Sport with his own um, high performance podcast that I listen to regularly. Um, and also just for his sort of interviewing technique um, and the great um, interesting analysis and ways that he manages to get interesting stories out of, you know, elite people doing um, fantastic work in the entertainment and, and sports sphere. So, um, we've got Jake, I believe, for around half an hour, which is which is fantastic, and we're going to try and delve into some of those topics, and then um, and then get a few questions as usual, as per per clubhouse as uh, as we can. Evening, everyone. It's Jake. Jake. Thanks for coming on. No worries, guys. Nice to see you all. Thanks everyone for joining. You too. No, I really appreciate your time, and I know this is something that um, is kind of new to the space, so we're just kind of exploring it a bit in terms of. You can see by the name Real Talk, so trying to give a bit more of an unfiltered insight into that sports industry. So myself working on a player and the brand side, Dan working club player side as well from a legal legal perspective, and then yourself from the journalism and media side of things. So feel free to kind of say what you want, how you want it. Thanks, man. Basically. Great. Sounds good. No, perfect. So I guess... Just to kick kick start it really, um, there's always been a bit of a fractured relationship when it comes to media and players, especially over yeah. the past few years. And more recently, we start to see it changing a bit, especially on on the ground. So, how do you think, or how do you feel, the relationship between media and players has changed over the last few years? I think that it's absolutely changed because I think players have realised the value and the power of communicating directly to their own audiences, and so as broadcasters as the media we have to really understand that and really be reactive to that because you know you've got broadcasters paying tens of millions of pounds to access players and access football and access different sports um we have to be really mindful and careful that the best bits of those players lives the best bits of their careers isn't saved for other outlets you know if you're a broadcaster and um you're paying to cover formula one or paying to cover the Premier League or any other sporting entity, you need the best stuff on your channels. And I think the answer to that is about personal relationships. I think that we really all have to understand that everyone helps everyone in this scenario. You know, if you take a look at the way that football has gone since the Premier League started in 1992, it really is the broadcasters that have built these amazing stadiums, 
paid these amazing wages for the players, sustained the incredible Premier League that we see today. Um, and they've helped to build that. And I think that it's really important that we make sure that the relationship between the two stays strong because it's still, the broadcasters are still the conduit between the footballer playing great football and the people at home seeing them play great football. I think the key from a broadcaster's perspective is we've got to really move with the times and understand that, yeah, people want to see Arsenal playing Man United, but they also want to know about a player's personality. They want to see how they live their lives. They want to know the kind of cars they drive and the houses they live in and the places they go for dinner. That's what a young audience want. And as broadcasters, we have got to find a way to tap into that and be part of that so that we don't become outdated. It's absolutely vital. Yeah, no, I think everything you just said there is fine. I think you can see that within the players as well. I think when it comes to the media teams at the clubs, I think they educate the players now far better than probably years gone by in terms of how to interact with the media especially from like Premier League contracts that they understand okay I have to give X amount of time to broadcasters but that doesn't necessarily always just end up in the stories that you've just mentioned that you want to kind of portray on your your channels right so I've, I've worked a lot with Reshmin when it comes to her interviewing some of our players for BT Sport and she's she's always very proactive in the sense of doing her research on that player and bringing that human element to it. So how do you find that from the host perspective and within that BT network? How do you guys approach that when it's, yeah, we have this time with this player, but what are we yeah. going to speak to them about? I, I mean, maybe I'm different to other presenters, right? But I, what I love about this job is I actually care less, like, I care less about the result or whether the team wins or loses. I care less about whether the manager goes with a back five or about four i what i love is the the personal stories the stories of the struggles and the achievements and the sacrifices and the desire from the players i the reason why i created my high performance podcast was because i am fascinated by these high performance individuals that have sacrificed so much to get to where they want to go and i still feel that maybe we just scratched the surface with a lot of sports people you know we see them absolutely in the arena with the lights on delivering on the big stage the moments of glory but what about the years and years of sacrifice and struggle and fail and self-doubt that's got them to that point that is the area that i think we still really really need to look at really exploit and i think again it comes back to understanding the player it comes back to personal relationships and you're totally right that there is still that slight disconnect maybe it's not even a slight disconnect maybe it's a big disconnect between the players and the media and I think that the message needs to be given to to the players and the people that represent the players is that 99% of the people that work in sports media just want to make football and make those players and make that club and make that sport look as exciting and as brilliant as possible so like you take the coverage that we're doing this evening on BT Sport we're covering the Man United game in the Europa League so we'll have like a gorgeous montage at the beginning about um, what happened seven days ago at Old Trafford and then we'll have loads of stats about the United players that have done really well and we'll, we have what we call hero images which is like where we have the player in an AR environment in the studio the very fact that we're calling them hero images shows you that we're putting them on a pedestal we're, we're putting these players up there we're, of course we have to have the difficult conversations at times when um, a club or a player or a manager lets themselves down or the results aren't great and I totally get that but I still... I still think that there's this kind of feeling that in some ways the media are there to catch players out and 
we're not. We're there to make them and their sport and their world look as exciting as possible, certainly from the broadcaster's perspective, because what we want is people to subscribe to BT Sport, to come along and to watch it and think that the football and the players and the story is amazing. So all we're trying to do is make that story as wonderful as possible. And I think sometimes, you know, certain sections of the media or certain people are out to get a kind of maybe a salacious story or something like that and then it kind of affects everyone and then the players think well i'm not talking to the media and they put a kind of blanket media ban out 99 percent of the media are just there for good positive reasons to to give people at home some escapism and to celebrate the footballer to celebrate the team to celebrate the competitor uh, Jake, hi, it's Daniel here. I just wonder if I can. Um, hey, hey um, just a couple of um, a couple of bits. So I I, I love all the, um, the the stuff you've done on BT and what, what, some of the stuff that I think is almost the most powerful and resonates the most is, um, in my view, all of the, the 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 obviously the great relationship you have with a number of the sort of co-presenters and commentators, including Rio Ferdinand and, other, and others, and and almost that post-match script where you're you're going off not necessarily just on what's happened in the match but on um, those players, ex-players' experiences. I remember a brilliant one with Ferdinand and um, Lampard, I think you did, on their sort of growing up period with uh, West Ham, etc. And, uh, you know, th- that that was something new and novel which hadn't really been done before. I know it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, well, we wanted to have that conversation and do it in a certain way. H- how do you, how how does that type of stuff come about where you're wanting to say something new and a bit different within the bounds of obviously working at a, you know, a high profile company like BT Sport and doing something a little bit differently? Yeah, well, I think for a start, I'm lucky to be at BT Sport. Like, I, I was working at the BBC, I was doing Formula One there and I did children's BBC there before that, but always wanted to kind of be the new deadline if you like I wanted to be a sports broadcaster but then I gave up that BBC career and everything that went with it to come across and join BT and the day that I started at BT Sport there was I walked into the building and there were six people sitting around the table and that was the entirety of BT Sport and I'll be totally honest with you all on this call and say that was a moment of real panic and, and doubt to me because I thought wow I've left the oldest broadcaster in the world to join a broadcaster that consists of six people sitting around the table. That was like, that was a big moment where I thought, we need to make this work. And how how do you make it work when you're a new channel and you have to build a subscriber base from zero and you have to prove your credibility and you have to go up against Sky, who at that time had been going for 20 years, or the BBC that had been going for 60 or 70 years and all the other broadcasts and all the other channels. You have to try and be as good as possible. And it's very difficult because when you first start a new channel, purely the fact that you're a new channel means that people are just negative about it because they've not seen it before. You know, there's a there's a definite um, resistance, I think, in the UK to things that are new or things that are different. People kind of naturally dislike them until they learn to like them. So we had to fight against that when we first started BT. And anything new that we tried, people were critical of it. But we had to sort of believe in ourselves and take our own path and continue to do what we believe was right. And certainly Premier League tonight, the show that you're talking about, I suppose really that was my first attempt at doing what I now do on my podcast. And the reason, and we can talk about this later, but the reason why I think podcasts are so valuable and have got such a strong future is that I really, really believe in the art of the long-form interview, the chance to sit for a good hour, just have a proper, deep conversation about something that people want to hear about and the conversation that you're referring to which is where we spoke with Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard about why the golden generations failed 
at the World Cup in 2006 under Ericsson. That was really the kind of post-mortem to that tournament that the country had never had an opportunity to have. And I was really proud that that show then became um, the programme where we would sit and have the conversations that these players weren't having anywhere else. And it amazed me that no one else was having these conversations. And actually, when I look across other broadcasters, I still don't really see them. I still don't see people really getting into deep conversations about what actually went on in the past. You know, the conversations, if they go there, are still kind of the similar questions you hear everywhere else. They don't get really deep. And it's a bit like that with the High Performance Podcast. Like, I still can't believe that there aren't numerous podcasts tapping into high-performing individuals just to unearth the mindset and the thought process behind what they do because we've done about 40 episodes now of the High Performance Podcast. And I think on average... The high achievers we speak to have spent about 20 years learning the things that they're sharing with us. So 40 episodes, 20 years, that's 800 years worth of people learning. That's an unbelievable amount of time. 800 years, cumulatively, our guests have spent learning about the world and they're willing just to pass that information on to the people listening to the podcast for free. Those are the sort of things that we have to look at. And I think we have to constantly look as broadcasters to challenge ourselves and do things differently. Like, you know, are young people still sitting and watching full 90 minutes worth of football programmes? If they are, then great. If they're not, then we have to find a a way to reach them. Um, I had a friend that came over to the UK, right? He knew absolutely nothing about Premier League football. And I said to him, you should try playing fantasy football. Just get some players create your little team, put players in, take players out. Two weeks later, I said to him, how are you finding it? He goes, oh, mate, I'm a bit worried. Harry Kane's picked up another injury and he's a bit injury prone and I'm just concerned. He's, I, need, I need to take him out of the team. I don't know who to make the captain this week. Within two weeks, that guy had become totally immersed in Premier League football through fantasy football, not through sitting and watching games. And I think that that's really important for all of us on this call to think about is, what are the ways that, that we reach people? I can see there's a couple of people here from Give Me Sport and they're really important to us on the High Performance Podcast because they're the people that are helping to share the podcast with an even wider audience. And that's the important thing. I want I want people who don't watch BT Sport on the TV to still see the content either through social or through having conversations like this um, or sharing it in other places. I want people that don't subscribe to the High Performance Podcast to still see snippets and conversations on their Facebook or on their Instagram or on their Twitter. It's really important that all of us move with the times as our audience moves and changes and evolves. Otherwise, we will just be left doing what we've always done. Right. I took my two kids to school today, Florence and Sebastian. They're only little. They're five and seven. I drove them to school before I came down to work today. And um, as we were getting near to their school, my little girl, Florence, she's super inquisitive. You know those little handles that you have above you in the car? Like, they sit above the window. My granny used to hold on to them every time we drove anywhere. My daughter said, Daddy, what what are these handles here for? And I looked at them and I said, do you know what, Florence? I don't even know why you'd have those handles in a car, really. But I guess the answer is because they've always been there. And I think what we have to be really aware of and really careful about is that we don't, and I'm talking to everyone here, not just people that work in sports broadcasting, everyone on this call, we've got to be really careful that we don't just do stuff because we've always done it. We've got to constantly push ourselves and ask ourselves, what can we do to evolve? It's, it's crucial. I think, Jake, a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned there, right, 
actually is summed up in a conversation I had with a player yesterday, which was around that relationship with, with media. So it was we're actually discussing high performance podcast because he's going to be coming on it soon um, with you. And yeah. he mentioned that he feels so stiff when he's doing a post match interview or a pre match interview because he's got someone from the club's press right standing right next to him. He's scared of saying something wrong because it's live. He's not sure what the questions are going to be, and he's just. He just feels like he's got to be a robot, say what he's got to do, and then just go into the dressing room and continue with his day, right? Yeah. Then the mentality towards, okay, you're going to go on this podcast or you're going to speak to this entity, which is far more personable, he feels far more open. Why why do you think that is? I think that I totally see where he's coming from, and I get that. And I think that it's up to the clubs and probably the players and people like you who represent them and work with them and people like me who are responsible for asking the questions to try and find the answer to this because let's be totally frank right and i used to feel this as well when i worked in formula one we are not we are asking all these sports people and this is every sports person in every sport we are asking them to be at their best for us at the worst possible time right Let's say all of us are going into a massive board meeting tomorrow or our boss has asked us to prepare something or we're about to deliver it and it's going to make or break our career. The last thing you'd want as you walked into that boardroom is someone going, hey, just a quick question. I want to talk to you about how you're feeling about the last few days and what you're expecting from this presentation you're about to do. And the minute you've done the presentation or let's take it to schools, you know, kids doing their exams at schools, what's the one thing you don't want to do for a kid who's about to sit in A-level or a GCSE exam? Call them on the way in to ask them about it and grab them as soon as the exam is over on the way out to ask them about it. It's so difficult because that's not the time they're going to be their best. But from the broadcaster's perspective, it's really important for us to get the opportunity to speak to them just before a big game because, you know, I'm covering the Man United game tonight and I don't know, let's say um, David De Gea, I don't know whether he's going to, but let's say David De Gea started in goal for United, haven't been away. I would be desperate to know from him, how are you feeling about the fact you've gone straight back into the starting lineup, or if Man United make it through tonight to the quarterfinals, knocking out AC Milan, I want to speak to the player the moment that that game is over. And it's a very, very difficult thing for those players. They have to, they have to basically learn to wear different hats. And the hat that they wear on a podcast with me is the really relaxed, confident hat because they know that it's not live. And if they say something they want changed, we can do that, and we're all there to support each other and help each other. That's a very different hat to the hat that you wear when your before or after a game of football but what i would say from the broadcaster's perspective it's about educating that player into understanding that all we want and don't 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 see it i want the players to see it not as talking to the broadcasters or talking to a journalist or talking to the media i think the players have got to start seeing those interviews pre and post matches talking to the fans because that's all we're doing like we're not interviewing that player to keep the footage for ourselves and sit and watch it in a interview purely to put it on the television. So I know the questions that they will ask Ole Gunnar Solskjaer before the game this evening because it's the obvious stuff, you know. How's the fatigue after a really busy period? How are the players feeling that this is now knockout football and you can see the goal in the first game, which means that you must score here at the San Siro? What's your final message to the players? All of that stuff isn't for me because I necessarily want the answer. It's for the fans because they want the answer. So I think to answer your question, it's it's the job of all of us to help the players and help the clubs understand that this is your opportunity 
to talk in this possible way really close before and after a game of football. But then I think that we also all have to understand that what we as broadcasters and what we as football fans are going to get from players immediately before and after a game of football is very different to what we get from them on their Instagram feed two days later or on a podcast or on a YouTube channel that they're recording with their mates. It is just, it is different. Um, but it is really important because the people sitting at home that love Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, no matter what the team is, and are buying the players' tops and are following the Instagram accounts and are buying match tickets. They want they want that emotional connection to the team. They want to be as close as possible to the team. And that is really all we're trying to do. We're trying to get the football fan more now than ever before because of this global pandemic. We're trying to take football fans from their living room and get them as close to the game as possible. And we can't do that without the buying of the player and their representatives. It's a really interesting one, Jake. And if, if I can just take it in the sort of podcast direction then as well to a degree, which is, you know, you've you've had this fantastic high performance podcast set up in 2020, um, millions of people listening to it along obviously si- alongside um, Professor Damon Hughes as well. Um, how have you, in a way, gone about identifying the type of people that you think have the the right mindset, story, willingness, vulnerability, um, all of the things that you talk about, growth mindset, um, failures, uh, developmental um, mind, mm. mind space. How do you go about researching the type of people that ideally you want to get on? And, and goes without saying you've had some of the, the biggest and brightest, um, you know, sports stars and ex-stars um, in the business. Um, is, has there been a particular methodology of how you've gone about doing that? Yeah, there has. Um, Look, we're really conscious, Daniel, about something called survivorship bias, which for those of you that don't know, and I'm sure most of you do, survivorship bias is this thing whereby people that have been successful love to talk about being successful because they think they've got the answer, whereas they haven't really got the answer. They've just got lucky. you know. And I think it's really important before we talk about the High Performance Podcast that we remember how much luck plays a part in everything that we do. You know, Why am I working on the television creating a podcast and living my dream career well the first reason is because i was born in the uk i was born into a a country where i can pursue my dreams and where we have free speech and we can do what we like i was born into a loving family where my mum and dad told us we could do anything we wanted i didn't have any control over those things that was pure luck so i think it's really important when we get guests on the podcast that they aren't just people who have been successful but they've got no idea, A, how they've been successful, but also people that haven't had struggles and failure along the way. And I think what's really interesting is as soon as you start to delve into the careers that people have had, you realise that that struggle and failure and learning lessons is pretty much there, almost for everybody. But we then still have to be sure that these people know why they've been successful. Because I think what you find, people that are really smart, really bright, They understand why they've failed and they understand why they've been successful. So we will watch interviews with them. We will discuss things that we've read or seen in the past. Sometimes we know them personally. And and there are people who have had really amazing, successful careers who I know personally. And I wouldn't put them on my podcast because I know that it just came too easy for them. And the whole point of the High Performance Podcast is it's there to help other people realize that it isn't always just simple plain sailing life isn't always working in a straight line failure is not a full stop failure is just a comma 
and loads of people fail. In fact, the most successful people fail more than anybody else. And we all need to live a life where we are seeking failure because failure is where we are operating at our absolute limits. And so, you know, the, the footballer that, that you mentioned, guys, who um, we're hoping to get onto the podcast soon, you know, the conversation with him will be about struggling with injuries, struggling with form, struggling with doubt, struggling with questions from fans on social media doubting yourself what's it really like when you feel like a one out of ten you have to walk onto a football field and operate like a 10 out of 10 because what i don't think what people are really interested in is how easy it is to be a professional footballer i think what people are really interested in is to feel like they're part of a club and it's a club that all of us are in and i look at all the names of the people who are joining us this evening listening to this conversation every single one of you i know has had a crap period, a period of doubt, a period of struggle, a period where you didn't think that things were going to be successful. And that's why I want us to have the same conversations with the people who've got to the absolute top so that we can realise that everyone is in the same boat. But I think the other thing that is really important it isn't just having successful people that have had struggles. It's successful people that have struggled and can explain to us the lessons they've learned from that. That is the single most important takeaway with the High Performance Podcast. So like Matthew McConaughey coming on the podcast, and when he said to me, excuses remove the learning, you think, yeah, of course they do. If I spend my life just making excuses for the crap things that have happened to me rather than learning the things that have gone wrong, it was a brilliant bit of learning. Johnny Wilkinson talking about exploring all the time and this is something that I've tried to do in my own life even when bad things happen Johnny Wilkinson says instead of saying it's something that's bad shut down psychologically and ignore it he said explore the feeling explore what it's like to struggle and to explore being disappointed and wishing things had gone another way the learnings on that podcast just come thick and fast and if you were to ask me the number one learning which a lot of people do is this mindset of 100% responsibility and for all of you on this call, I'd love you to listen to a few of the episodes and just pick up on this and 100% responsibility. It actually is great because it comes back to the whole conversation we've had this evening. 100% responsibility is taking control for every single facet of your life, including the stuff that is not your fault. There are loads of things that happen to us. I mean, the biggest thing that we're all living through right now, okay, a global pandemic where we can't leave our homes, that's no one's fault on this phone call but it's all of our responsibility to work out how to deal with that that's best for us. Being bullied at school, not your fault, still your responsibility. A broken home at a young age, not your fault, still your responsibility. Struggling with illness, not your fault, still your responsibility. Those are the messages that all the guests have spoken to us about on the High Performance Podcast. And once you resolve to live a life of taking total responsibility for all the things in your life, the things that are your fault and the things that aren't your fault, I could tell you, I promise you, I promise all of you that it is, it is absolutely life-changing. And those are the things, man, that I want to talk to these footballers and these movie stars and these musicians and these entrepreneurs about because we all think that they know a secret we don't. We all think there's something different about these people. They are just you and me. That's all they are. They are, they are you and me, and they've ended up in a position of responsibility. And so let's speak to them. Let's find out what they've learned, um, and let's let's make it better for everybody um and that's what i want to do in my job as a broadcaster as well i don't want to be a broadcaster like all the others i want to be a broadcaster that moves the whole thing forwards and connects the audience at home 
to the footballers, to the sports people more than ever before. Yeah, no, I really, really appreciate that, Jake. And I know I'm conscious that you've actually got your broadcasting job to do now. So we'll kind of let you um, get back to your day job on that. But really appreciate the insight and just the honest conversation because this, especially when it comes to media and journalism and in sport, I think there's a there's a big part of the industry which hides away from talking about this, the points that you just mentioned, that there is an issue. We do need to work on it. And I think the younger generations that are coming through now, like the James Madisons and the Jack Grealishes um, that speak about, speak so honestly and openly to the broadcasters. You can see their social media um, personalities coming through on, on TV. So I think there will be a change and it's just a matter of time, not not if. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, it's exactly the same as, the, you know, the mental health conversation that we all need to have as well, which is that we all need to share more, all of us all the time, just need to tell other people how we're feeling. And I think that young people now, certainly my kids are growing up in a world where we tell them all the time, share how you're feeling. You're not going to be judged. This is a non-judgmental environment. And I want, it's so difficult. It's never been harder to be ourselves because it's never been easier to be judged by other people. And all of us on this call feel it. You know, I'm not a footballer. I've never had the ability to do that. But I'll still go on the telly tonight. And I know that when I come off, I'll have hundreds of tweets and messages, people telling me that I'm crap at my job. And that is difficult at times. But it's about creating a space where we can still say to people, listen, we just come on, trust us, be totally yourself. Like the fact that that interview that James Madison did a few weeks ago went viral and everything. fact that that happened is like that shouldn't just because a footballer talks openly and honestly it shouldn't be such a big story because they're great guys they're, they've got amazing stories to tell they're so passionate and they've they've had to sacrifice so much to achieve so much um, that we should be hearing those stories and I'm, I'm really keen to make sure that we, we do hear more and more from them in the future so listen for all of you thanks very much for diving on this clubhouse this evening it was really nice to sit and chat Thanks very much, Jake, and um, yeah, good luck for tonight, mate. Yeah, cheers, guys. I better go. If you fancy tuning in, everyone, I'll be on air 45 minutes. Man United, AC Milan. <laughs> for Have sure. a good evening. Take Tuesday. care. Take care. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Jordan, for sorting it out. Take care, everyone. Good night. So, S, um, yeah, just by way of some follow-ups on that and, and maybe we can, you know, everyone that's on the call still and still wants to listen into me and S chatting a little bit more um, for the next 10 or 15 minutes or so as well. I was just thinking about a few takeaways from what um, what Jake has, uh, what Jake's been talking about to some degree. And I, I wonder, and I know you can um, empathise um, with, with this and it's something we've talked about previously, you know, I, I totally agree with what Jake says about, um, you know, players feeling like they need to speak to the fans. I hadn't really considered it before this whole thing about when's the worst time to speak to someone before and uh, pre and post games, which I completely actually think is a, a very, very, very valid insight. The other bit that we've talked about previously is I think this this um, sort of um, schadenfreude uh, I'm not sure if it's necessarily just uh, happens on social media more than anything else because everyone doesn't feel sort of as connected and as um, uh, as face-to-face with everybody. But almost that um, fans want this authenticity, but at the same time, um, you know, 
the same types of lines pre and post interview interviews come out um, and and nothing in a way novel then gets said as a result but I think the, 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 the things that you know, talent and athletes are scared to death about is saying something which is off script. Um, and I think that goes back to almost what Jake was talking about, about the the safer space that the high performance podcast, um, getting into the, the, the detail of stuff, understanding someone more as a person and a personality with feelings and emotions rather than trying to catch someone out. Um, and um and and feeling scared about actually saying what they actually feel i'm sure yeah you've got some thoughts on that too yeah do you know i can share an experience when when i first started out so what obviously when i first started out it was pretty much me running social channels for like a few different players right and the tactic i always used to use back right at the start was i'd watch a post-match interview from a player um either from their team or themselves as the player, right? I'd take some of the points that they said in that and work that into captions. Now, the funny thing is, I soon realised actually what they're doing, what I'm writing is ultimately a bit stiff. It's not necessarily representative of them as the person that I see in WhatsApp or I see elsewhere, right? So I kind of flipped it and went, okay, they're saying that there, but let me just kind of put it into your own words. And then the the player would kind of turn around and go, oh, I'm not I'm not too sure. Like I wouldn't say that on TV. And there was a big mentality at the start, and I'm talking about six years ago, which was uh, I wouldn't say that on TV, so I don't want to say that on social media. Now it's very different. It's I that that concept of what they say on TV is still very much the same. But now you see post match posts like Jake referred to it. What you see on the social media channels post game is very very different to what you now see on the TV, but the, the TV answers haven't changed, but the social media answers have changed. And I think that's a big part to play in the players taking that attitude that they have towards social media back into the broadcasting side of things. And I brought up Jordan because Jordan now runs like the player side of things for us, right? And he he's going through that whole learning experience as well from working with younger players where they have a completely different mentality towards some of the 24, 25, 26 player, year old players that I'm working with. So I'll let Jordan talk about his experiences as well with some of the younger players. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Essen and uh, Dan and obviously Jake for uh, for speaking. and Thanks for calling me up. Um, pretty much what, what Essen has said, I think there's a real change uh, in mentality as players get older. The first thing that I've learned um, from working with a lot of younger players is that a lot of them do want to talk and they do want to say something um, and it's more educating them about the rights and wrongs of okay, if you want to say something, this is the best way we can we can do it. Um, but I think as players get older, they become a little bit more tactful in the different avenues they choose to say something, whereas when they're young perhaps um, that kind of publicity that they crave, they feel they can get it. So it's all about educating them to say something that is first meaningful and doesn't doesn't harm or affect their overall brand. Um, but I've definitely learned as players get older because we also work quite closely with someone like Stephen Corker, um, and the way he sees the media is completely different to some of our younger players like Rian Brewster. Um, so it's definitely been a big learning curve. But um, I think there's a way you can handle it for players across all ages. But like any people across any different uh, society or profession. Everyone's different, so it's finding the right fit rather than a one-size-fits-all approach. I was going to ask um, Jordan as well on on that point, and so maybe for Essen as well. Is you know, d- d- does 
I almost think the example happens on from both sides. It happens from the sort of Jake enabling side where the ex-pros are being a lot more open, vulnerable to a degree, um, reflective, um, articulating particular things that went on in their careers that maybe they couldn't have spoken about during their career for lots of different reasons. And at the same time, the Madisons and the Grealishes and others that are being more open um, and playful to a degree um, in front of even the mainstream media, that in a way that provides more confidence for for talent, for post um, um, uh, post you know playing talent and also current um talent if it's footballers or otherwise to to almost let the let their guards down but be confident at the same time that what they're saying is res will resonates and they feel feel comfortable saying it yeah i think you know feeling comfortable about saying something is always the hardest part like we spoke about it last week which was um i remember mark saying that the phrase that once you put your head above the water in terms that anyone's ready to kind of fire away at you and I think Jake spoke about it on his um, podcast as well that, that well he just mentioned it now didn't he which was he'll get abused for x x y and z and I think it's that feeling comfortable with the person that you're speaking to so uh, um when I've just brought up someone from the beautiful game podcast and it really is about feeling comfortable. Like Rian Brewster went onto their podcast and it was a totally different Rian to the Rian that you see on TV or the Rian that you see on social media. And it's ultimately, I think sometimes it comes down to the personal relationships because I'm going to say one thing before passing it over that we can't hide away from the fact that you've got the suns, the mirrors, the daily mails of this world that literally still run trash media around players. So we're talking about trying to educate players or trying to educate people to trust the media. But how can you trust the media when a certain section of this media, and I will call them out because they do do this and it's always, they're trying to make a story out of nothing or they twist something that players feel so vulnerable in that stage that they're, they're thinking, oh, if I say this, it might get twisted to this. Literally the amount of times that you, we get told, oh, I'm scared that they're going to twist what I said, because if it's taken out of context, it can look really bad. That, there's a big part that there is still this in, in the industry and I'll kind of pass the mic over to, to Doc to kind of say his, say his part. No, thank, thank you for bringing me up. Um, and yeah, I echo your views. I think, I think the reason why we're seeing this big change in media is because a lot of the people coming through now are relatable to these footballers. So for example, when we interview someone like a Rian Brewster, or at a beret essay it's like they're just speaking to one of their friends because they get it they get what we're trying to do they understand where we're coming from we dress the same as them we speak the same as them so i think that's the way you know the media is going to go moving forward and i think from our point of view we have to have a duty of care because we know that look they're relaxed they're comfortable they feel like they're speaking to one of their friends so you need to kind of get the balance right in terms of okay you need to do a job and get interesting lines out of them but you also have to protect the player and i think that's what we always aim to do for example when we were speaking to Rian, there was a few things that he said that was okay rather a bit controversial and it's you know it's up to us to work with him to get the best you know solution out of the podcast because at the end of the day we've got a duty of care to you know keep Rian 
you know, and, and look after him. So I think, I think, and I think that's why last Liverpool roundup. I think that's why a lot of players are open to coming onto platforms like us because they know we've got their best interests at heart, and we're not trying to throw them under the bus. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point that you meant that said there around having their back essentially because Dan, Dan will know this as well that when we're doing commercial contracts, for example, right, there's a big part of it which is uh, media interviews that people have to do, and we always try to put into the contracts to have um, copy approval. Now, Jordan and Dan will know this. This is one of my biggest battles day to day at work which is for some reason people just don't want to give it to you now nine times out of ten everything will be fine but there will be that one out of ten which will cause massive issues now if we want players to be able to do these things they need to feel comfortable and sometimes that's a bit of an insurance blanket and Dan I'll be interested to hear from you as well in terms of how often do you see these copy approvals built into different legal contracts and have you had any cases where it's probably gone wrong and you've had to kind of lean back on one of the one of the legal agreements that you've got in place? Don't get me started. Um, look, the short answer is um, that there is always, um, you know, thought that goes into a variety of legal docs especially when you want to try and see stuff before it goes out into the the public domain that could be an interview it could be a photo shoot um it could be um um you know particular images that are going to be used it could be you know content in lots of different ways and so you know ultimately everyone has to come up with sensible ideas and solutions in order to get stuff over the line but that alter that usually comes with compromise and that compromise can sometimes be diluting your position if you want to get something done or over the line or not being able to get to the right decision maker and then time pressures causing different things to happen um then the 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 few times that stuff arises which causes a problem as a result um, you know, it, it ultimately depends on the individuals involved. Sometimes um, some individuals, you know, talent, in other words, and, the, and all their managers and agents are relatively relaxed about stuff because it's quite small um, or it's actually quite big, but they know there's nothing they can do about it. And it sort of means they can learn lessons about the types of entities, newspapers, um, platforms, publications that they will then use and work with in the future. And it may provide better leverage and better negotiation for for, for other things um, sometimes you know there are particular things which come out which um, or eventualities happen which need firmer um, responses and that's ultimately where me as a as a um, you know a classic lawyer um, I will tend to get more involved in but usually like anything else as you know S with a lot of the players we work with it's all to do ultimately with um, you know trying to get the best out of each situation trying to make sure everybody understands the rules of the game and um, you know develop good relationships in the industry and just as you said S and before there's some newspapers and some publications that are going to try and catch people out and there's some like um, dotted, you know, um, very well articulated that they're there for the long term relationship to make sure that people can put out messages and 
um, understand everyone's personality. So because in the end, everyone wants to feel relatable. Everyone wants to feel connected. Everyone wants to feel in a way loved and understood. And and that's one of the things I think that social, that Clubhouse, that different types of audio podcast and content creation can actually do, which is over and above what was and what used to be the case in terms of traditional media. Yeah, no, perfect. I think, Dave, uh, you put your hand to mic to you before I come on to another point. Yeah, I just wanted to echo um, what's been said so far. I think the main thing for us is trust. We value that commodity because we recognise that players coming onto our platform, they're doing us a massive favour. And we've even had times, you know, with Eze, Daniel Sturridge, where we've had to get rid of content just to protect them, you know, and we're not here to make cheap headlines. We want to be seen as a platform that showcase and storytell these players' stories. You know, even we recently had uh, Benicophobia on our platform and there was a lot of sensitivity around his situation with, unfortunately, his daughter passing. But, you know, from the feedback we've had, like a lot of people have said we've dealt with that well and that's what we want to continue doing because we don't see ourselves as traditional media we haven't got any sort of journalism degrees. We're just free football fans that want to speak to footballers. And the feedback we've had from the um, footballers so far has been very overwhelming because they say that we've got their duty of care. We care about them. It's not just getting a story, grabbing a quick headline, because if we wanted to do that, we could have. But as I said before, we value the trust. Do you know what? I know with Jordan, I'll let, let you say one point, but I wanted to kind of just balance the argument there a little bit which was i know we've trash talked like um traditional media a little bit in in today's room apart from when jake was on right but um i have to hand it to the david ornstein when like he's in the room now and i'm not just saying this because he's here but i was going to say this point anyway but when he was at bbc um he did an interview with hector and it was about 20 25 minutes long and it was solely around his personal interests now for an outlet like BBC, you wouldn't expect that. You'd expect the game on a weekend, the squad, whatever the results are going on, whatever else might be the politics around the, the football inside of it. But there wasn't one question on that. It was purely around um, him as a person. And he came away from it. And I remember it straight away. He was like, I just did this. I really loved it. I want to do more. And then that's how me and David actually got connected. And since then, Hector's done probably a couple other bits with it off of the back of it, because although Athletic would be seen as a bit of a traditional media out there, he still wants to do things with them because he appreciates the fact that they understand him as a person. Now, I've had the same with other players in other countries that traditional media, when they've come in and they've kind of open the book and open the conversation towards them as as the human and jay kind of referred to it which was that makes them feel comfortable that makes them feel that you're interested in far more beyond just the football aspect of it but um yeah i just wanted to balance that out before people start saying i just love podcasts and i don't like traditional media but yeah over to you jordan no uh, thank you S. i was just going to say the fact that um well overall i think that as a company we're we're very aligned on where we think our players should and shouldn't be but i i have to say i i do feel quite sorry for if that's the right word for a lot of the journalists that work for these trashy um outlets um i know there's been times when i've offered them access to a player and, and they're desperate to do it but they have to hit 15 to 20 bylines a day um 
they might have to hit a certain number of views. That they ha- it's all about the clicks, the ad revenue, the views. And these people might have been at uni doing a journalism degree and then maybe done a master's, come out of a NCTJ, maybe started off working at a local paper. And then it's not the, the journalism they perhaps thought it was. It's very much sitting there writing stories on what players put on their socials, where has a player been snapped? And, it, and it's not the journalism that they wanted or they thought they were going to do when they were studying. Um, so I, I do feel for them, but perhaps as a, a the new era in media, that's just the way the way it's gone. And you have people like the Beautiful Game podcast and obviously The Athletic. And um, I know there's Mizar um, from Goal here as well that are really doing good stories. But I also do feel for the journalists that they want to do the stories, they want to do the in-depth pieces, but a lot of times the editor and the people above them, it's all about the clicks and the money. Yeah, I think I've all, I've all, I do kind of see that issue, which is sometimes from a business point of view, it's not that glamorous or it's not going to hit that many people if you're talking about someone's passions or interests beyond just a, a headline. But Dan, t- to you as well, I guess you've you've been on the ground in the industry for, um, at, at the front front end of it when it comes to like the legal side of things. How have you found it when it comes to some some issues that may have occurred so there, there's always been kind of crisis pr management agencies within within the ecosystem but i've kind of seen them die out a little bit that might be because the tabloids aren't necessarily um selling papers so you can kind of contra deals anymore like jordan just mentioned it's all about clicks and hits so maybe they make more money out of these type of um situations but how have you found it when it's been it's gone wrong so someone's trying to sell a story and you're working for the player and how does that work does that sometimes build a better relationship with the media entity if they kind of have the players back or does it just fracture that relationship even further when they're like no do you know what we're, we're not going to collaborate at all yeah it's um there's a few pieces to the puzzle um <clears throat> as um uh, as we've chatted about previously, and and a lot of the time, you know, th- there are different layers. The first sometimes is is that you know, ultimately, a lot of it comes down to if a story is going to be published that a player, agent, or otherwise, or club doesn't want published, usually it's coming down to whether the whether the whether the paper publication can verify the the truthfulness, the veracity of the story, or at least give the um, uh, ability for the player if they want to or the talent to be able to respond to what is going to be particularly published. Now there's other elements to it about whether if something happens and whether it's actually being reported correctly so that then our sort of defamation and libel teams would be onto the editors to be able to ask them pretty quickly to correct particular factual inaccuracies. And then there's obviously the the bigger stuff which has happened not necessarily as recently, which is sort of this this super injunction element um, in relation to actually um, uh, anonymizing particular stories um, or not being able to publish particular stories for lots of different um, potential public interest or non-public interest reasons. So there's a variety of levels of stuff, but ultimately I think just as you mentioned, for example, when you're mentioning David, who I've got a good relationship as well with too, um, and we chat relatively regularly, um, you know, ultimately, um, 
and as Jordan mentioned, there's there's going to be everyone's going to have different incentives and incentives aligning in different ways. That there's a, um, a, a good group of journos um, who work who are aligned with a good group of publishers and platforms that um, that want to align particular stories that um, are going to ultimately. Um, make hopefully the player sound good authentic and put their personality across in a relatively safe space and there are those journalists through again as jordan mentioned different incentives in different platforms um that need to be able to um put stories across that are going to create sensational headlines and bylines and click-throughs um and whose first second and third um, priority isn't going to be to build trust and relationships within a particular industry because that's just you're not you're just not going to get access once you go down that path. So um, ultimately, it can sometimes be down to sometimes less is more. Um, otherwise, um, it can be you know going pretty hard hitting. But like anything, you know when lawyers formally get involved in stuff. Um, that in itself can become the story. And a lot of the time, uh, the most important thing for players, athletes, talent, people to realize more generally, unless it's something very, very important to their being and their personality and to their reputation, is that they're not usually at the center of everyone's universe for a, a particularly long period of time. You know, everyone's attention then focused to something else the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, so it's all of those considerations wrapped into one, whereas it's not usually as black and white as we need to do something and we need to go in hard. Uh, it might be, let's just wait a little bit and see how we go. Um, or we need to go in hard and quick and try and um, um, remedy the situation. Yeah, no, perfect. That's great insight. Um, I think we can wrap it up there for today's one. I think we've um, spoken a bit since Jake left. Now I've probably run out of topics to talk about. So unless there was anything else from your end, I'm no, I think it's really good. And, you know, again, thanks everyone for, for joining and contributing. I think, um, you know, ultimately we're just trying to provide everyone with a bit more insight, a bit more unfiltered insight as to how things work. And so, um, yeah, hopefully we've got some good guests. And again, apologies, I'm not sure of who we've got particularly on for next week, but we're, uh, we've hopefully got some really good, interesting insights um, to be able to, for everyone to be able to, to listen to for next Thursday. Yeah, no, perfect. Again, thanks, everyone. And I'm sure we'll kind of put it out there who's on next week. I actually can't even remember. So I'll leave that to Twitter to inform everyone. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop, 
www.thinkbigbook.co.uk. Thanks for listening.